guest speaker here tonight. I was kind of counting on that. <laughs> um, unfortunately, they had uh, a death in the family, and so they had a funeral today, and uh, she was not able to come, and so we're hoping that, uh, well, she's going to come at some point, but it's not going to be tonight. So tonight, uh, I want to just share a little bit with you. Um, I've been, because I wasn't like planning to preach this weekend, I kind of knew that it was possible, but then I was like, ah, maybe not, and I was holding, keeping hope alive, but hope disappointed me <laughs> uh, that maybe... Um, that maybe she would speak, but I was listening, so I was listening to a whole bunch of different things. I was reading books, actually. That's like, that's new for me. Uh, and just over and over, this just a, a, a challenging thought for me, uh, and would, would love to share it uh, with, with you tonight as well. Um, for those who are listening online, uh, just grateful that you guys uh, take time to put the word in your heart. I, I love hearing from you as well, so um, feel free to shoot me an email. It's uh, It's just always great to to, to hear what God's doing in your life. So thank you for that. Uh, and so also last week, for those of you who were here last week, last week was kind of like a, a little bit of a vulnerable moment for me and uh, uh, sharing some of the stuff that, uh, that had gone through as far as it relates to forgiveness. And uh, it really seemed to connect, strike a chord with people. Obviously, we all go through it, but I just really had some great conversations this week with people as a result of that, and I hope you did as well. Uh, and so I was just, I was thankful for those. I was also thankful um, for those of you who've been trying to help my situation. Um, so right after the Sunday service, so for those of you who don't know, last week I was telling a story about how uh, I was delivering a couch, my wife's couch, to use for the volunteer dinner, and it jumped out of the back of the truck, and it got smashed. And so um, I <laughs> shared that story, and right after the Sunday morning service, this couple came up to me right after, like, hey, um, do you know anybody who needs a couch? And I was like, oh, you know, uh, and they're like, no, no, we really, we have one, and we're looking for somebody who could need a couch. And I was like, well, that's pretty sweet. Thank, thanks for that. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. And then this week, I had a young guy send me this picture, and he said, hey, I found, I found a couch. And I was like, I'm like, where is that? And he's like, the dump of forgetfulness, also known as Habitat for Humanity, right? And so I'm like, oh, well, thank you for that. And then before, you know, then, then actually someone else delivered this couch to our house from the 1800s. This is quite the antique. And I was like, wow, these people really care about me. Like, that's three couches in one week. I thought if I keep this going, I could start a new business. Couches are us, <laughs> but no delivery, uh, so thank you for your uh, genuine care for us. I still don't know who dropped off the couch, but whoever you are, thank you. Um, and that topic of forgiveness, it just seems to resonate with people. We all tend to, reson uh, to wrestle with that idea of forgiving others at times. Uh, we talked last week, and I think a big part of last week that connected with people was that idea of forgiving ourselves, that that's something that you know, I, yeah, I can let other people go, but I really, really struggle with this thing of uh, forgiving me. And we briefly talked about the idea that really us forgiving others and forgiving ourselves rests in the fact that we are forgiven. It's that revelation that we are forgiven by God. Uh, and that's something that's really, really incredible and really, really powerful. And with Christmas being just around the corner, it's 24 days away, uh, you know, it's that 
thing where you start hearing all the songs and it's, tis the season to be jolly, you know, and you see everyone's Christmas cards. And for those of you who got our Christmas card, you see our perfect, happy family, right? And you get everybody else's and we see your perfect, happy families. I just want to say that's not how that's always, that's not always the case. Uh, it wasn't even the case that day. Uh, here's actually some of the pictures that we attempted to uh, take. I wish I could zoom in on Beth on that. It's just awesome. And then, and then there's this one. Uh, he didn't even want to be in the photo, neither did he. And then finally the boys mutinied and said, no, you know, we're going to show our best sides. And uh, that was the end of the photo shoot. So, you know, like every family has their moments. Okay, I didn't ask Beth for permission for that. Um, But, you know, tis the season to be jolly is not always the case. You know, I heard this week from someone, it's the season they feel most lonely. Uh, Christmas is a season, you know, where people are full of food and yet empty inside. That there's those more and more stuff and yet less and less satisfaction. Uh, we know that there's a spike in depression uh, as December uh, hits, sometimes based on weather, but sometimes just based on what Christmas means uh, for them. Uh, uh, suicide, the rate of suicide attempts goes up in this season. And you hear the song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And like, well, I don't always know if that's the case. And so some of the stuff that I've been uh, listening to this week, there's uh, reminded me of when I was a kid, there was this slogan called, Keep Christ in Christmas. Anybody heard that before? We got to keep Christ in Christmas? Only four of you. I thought it was really popular. Oh, no, okay. So there are a few more all of a sudden. Like, I'm not volunteering for anything. All right. Um, but keep, keep, Christ in, keep Christ in Christmas. Uh, this week I was listening to a podcast uh, where they were talking about how, you know, keep Christ in Christmas was something that that, uh, you know, has, has been around because there was so subtly, well, then not so subtly, that Santa and gifts and busyness and dinners just kind of fills that whole time, and Christ becomes an afterthought in the whole idea of Christmas. And he said, you know, it's not just that as much as it affects us as a culture, even as a Christian culture, that there's a, there's a Christianity where we've got to be careful to make sure we keep Christ in our Christianity. I was like, well, that's a weird thought. Of course, Christ is in Christianity. It's what it's really all about. But then as he began to talk about the idea that we sometimes drift to something much more subtle that takes Christ out of, uh, Christ out of Christianity in the way that we live our lives. And it was uh, this thought that, that we try and fix things that only Christ can fix. That in our messages and in, our, in the way we live and the way we sing, the songs we sing, the way we pray, it's, that, it's this idea that we can still fix what only Christ can fix. Uh, there's a movie out right now called Wreck-It Ralph, Wreck-It Ralph 2, Wreck the Internet or something like that. Um, uh, I remember watching the first one, and Wreck-It Ralph is this uh, guy who basically busts everything. Everything he touches breaks. And then there's, anybody know who the other character is? The one who fixes everything? Fix it, Felix. There you go. At least Gary and I like the same movies. That's great. Um, <laughs> Fix it, Felix is the one who he just says everything he touches. He's like, why does everything I, why do I fix everything I touch? You know, it's a, it was, and 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 in the throughout that uh, movie, Wreck It Ralph is trying to redeem himself. He's not going to be the bad guy anymore, and goes around trying to fix other things. And as I as I kind of thought about uh, that, I realized, you know, there, there's a part in each of us that really drifts to that idea of we can fix the problem that we find ourselves in. And sometimes it's through preaching, sometimes it's through uh, uh, positive uh, messages or whatever, but like even with the couch, my first thought when the couch, when I saw it on the train tracks was, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to super glue that thing. I will find a way to fix it. I will make it 
better. And, you know, I realized, I felt afterwards when I realized I couldn't fix it. I realized I'm not the only one who tries to fix stuff. I, I just, like, Googled, I will fix it. And this is stuff that came up. Like, I love that. The Lego guy just, like, holds the two connectors together. That's genius. Then, uh, you know, other ways there, you know, duct tape and a strap can fix a lot. Uh, and then this one, the Band-Aid solution, the true Band-Aid solution. And there's some humorous things, but when we think about, you know, life that, you know, certain, there's certain things that happen in life that we think, ah, you know what? It, it, I, I could fix this if I could just have a little bit more money. And we, we don't always say it that way, but, but oftentimes that's the thought, and it's the way we live out our lives. If I just had a little bit more money, then this problem would be fixed. Uh, you know, if, we just, if I just made a little bit more money, my wife would be a little bit happier. If I could just find the right counselor, then maybe this thing would be fixed. If I, if I could just have a more positive outlook on life, then maybe... I could fix this. And as Christians, we have a version of that. We have a version that sounds spiritual, but oftentimes is just rooted kind of in the same stuff. If, if I do more good things or if I go to more church services, you know, maybe, maybe I can kind of fix what's going on inside here. And maybe that's why you're here tonight. You know, or it's like if I can just pray the right prayer, or if I, maybe you've heard it before, if I could just have enough faith, then I can get God to do what I want him to do. I can get him to answer my prayer. Now, we wouldn't say it that way, but we subtly say it in a different way that, well, if I just have enough faith, well, then God's going to come through for me. If I can get God to fix it, you know, it's lots of things. Marriage, friendships, child, uh, parenting, our happiness. If, if I, if I, if I, maybe I can fix this. And as I'm getting ready for Christmas, as we get ready for Christmas and we think about, you know, Jesus coming to the planet, that idea of that I can fix things is not the message of the gospel, and it's not the message of Christmas, and yet it's something that it, 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 it baits us a little bit. And so, wanna, and from, for some tonight, maybe uh, part of my uh, heart in sharing this before Christmas is that there's people that you know that as, as we start walking through this, you're like, faces come to mind. That, yeah, they, this, this looks like them. They would be people who would need to hear a message like this, or they would need to hear truth. Here's, here's the thought. Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bible, you can jump over there. Luke chapter 2, you're going to hear a lot of that over the next number of weeks, uh, just the, the Christmas story. But here's, uh, here's a couple thoughts that is just as I was reading through again uh, the last couple of days that just jumped out. It says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, for those who know, it says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. Who's, who's the angel talking to? Shepherds, you've heard, you've heard the Christmas story before, yeah. So this angel comes and talks to the shepherds, and he appears among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. And verse 10 says, but the angel reassured them and said, don't be afraid, I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will be, bring great joy to all people. I've got a message that's, I've got good news for you, shepherds, but it's not only for you, it's going to bring great joy to all people. This message of Christmas, this message of Christ coming, will bring great joy to all people. And yet, I know, and if I look around, uh, you talk to people in our culture, that the, um, the message of Christ does not bring great joy to most people. Uh, even to, um, to um, you know, our culture, it's not necessarily that like, that's, the most, like, that's the most exciting thing. It's, it's not. And yet the angel said, you know what? That's what it's going to be. It's good news that's going to bring great joy to all people. Verse 11, it says this, the Savior, the Savior. Remember that word. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in the city of David. 
When he says, when they say Savior, there's, he's saying there's a deliverer. There's someone who's going to set you free. There's a, uh, he says, it's not just the Savior, it's the Christ. He's the anointed one. There's some, something special about him, and he's the Lord, which is another word for master. I mean, this is, this is somebody super, super important who's coming. And so, you know, as the angels said, hey, I, we've come to announce a person. And he's like, yeah, obviously, we know that. He came to announce a person. He didn't come to announce a better way to live. He didn't come to announce saying, hey, there's, I, got some, I got some rules for you to follow, or I've got, an, I, you know, I've got a better way to live. If, if you could just you know, become a Christian, you know, th- that's going to be better for you. He says, no, I want to tell you about a person. Well, then there was an old man later on as um, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. Uh, a couple of days later, there was an old man named Simeon who had studied the Hebrew scriptures, looked through them, and he was eagerly waiting for this Messiah that he knew was promised and he, he had been, but the, the Spirit of the Lord told him he's going to see him. And so he's waiting and waiting and waiting to see this, this Messiah, this Savior, this Deliverer. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, Luke, who had uh, talked to the eyewitnesses to find out their accounts so that we would know the truth. It's why he wrote this. He said this, this is the words of Simeon. He said, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. He says, I have seen your salvation. I've seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. I've seen your salvation. And when you see that salvation, uh, that word, you know, right away, I think that that's like a, a thing. That's like, a, that's like a, a noun or a verb. But as you read the words, it actually means a person. I have seen the one who embodies um, deliverance. It's the, one who, uh, it's the one who God will move through to achieve salvation. It's a hope or an expectancy of future salvation, but it's a person. He says, I've seen, I've seen the person. And like, well, why do we, why do we stress that point? Because isn't that something that we would all know? But as this person arrived, many people thought as he grew up, wow, he's the Messiah. He's going to be the Savior. They thought immediately he would rescue them from Roman rule. He'd be the military one who would deliver them. And crowds followed him in the hope that it was true. But he never led the charge against the Roman Empire. He never led the charge against the Roman oppressors. Instead, he was charged. And he was accused. And he was sentenced to death on a cross. And in any other story, if we read this as like, oh, it started off like once upon a time there was. At the end of this story, here he dies. That's not good news. That's not good news for anyone. It's actually bad news when the hero dies, and that's the end of the story. But the reason we even have the story is because we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And the proof that we have the story, <laughs> the fact that we have the story, is pretty great proof that, that something happened. People, it says, Luke said, many people wrote about this because they saw something happen. A man rose from the dead. Uh, and it's incredibly good news for our world even though they don't realize it. It's incredibly good news, but the good news doesn't start good. And I think that's something that, that I've been brought back to the realization of again this week. And so as we studied Starting Point this week, it was actually a starting point where some of these thoughts began to, began to start. And then I read some, I listened to this podcast somebody sent me, and then I read this email, and then I'm reading this book, and this, this thought kept jumping out. And so I just want to look at that in Ephesians uh, with you tonight. Paul 
who uh, wrote uh, letters to the Jesus followers all over the world. He wrote this letter to the Ephesian church, the, the followers of Jesus in Ephesus. Uh, and he said, you know, send this letter on. So it wasn't specifically written to, hey, I know Joe from Ephesus. It was like, I just, here's to believers in general. This is not just for believers in Ephesus, but it's for everybody around there and believers today. And here's, here's what he, he does. He reminds them of the truth of the good news. He reminds them of the truth of the good news. Because if you don't know the truth, you won't speak the truth. If you don't know the truth, you will not speak the truth. And it's amazing at how Christianity as a whole drifts from the truth, and the next generation doesn't know the truth. And because they don't know the truth, they speak, the, they speak a mistruth, a half-truth, to a next generation who grows up not knowing the truth about the gospel. And they say right now that statistics are not in our favor for the next generation. They just aren't. They're not in our favor. They're, they're saying that, that kids, you know, they like, yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't know why. They hear the word salvation, but they don't know what they're saved from. They don't know what they've been saved uh, out of or saved into. I thought, you know what? I don't want to be uh, the church that doesn't understand that. And so here's what Paul said to the Ephesians. He's like, I don't want you guys to misunderstand it either. He says this. He starts Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Just Can you just read these lines out loud for me? Just the first four words. Who's he writing to again? All of us any followers of Jesus anywhere, he says, once you were dead. That's not a nice word. Once you were dead. He's like, hey, I, I just want to start at the beginning and remind you of the truth of the good news. And it starts like this. Once you were dead. Once you were dead. He's like, you know, this, this um, it's not just, you know, once you were in a bad place, once you were having a difficult time. He's like, once you were dead. Why? Because, why? Here's the reason. Because of your disobedience and because of your many sins. And some of you are sitting here tonight like, wait, what, what do you mean many sins? Who are you saying has many sins? You know, right away, a little bit of defensiveness wants to come up in us. And there's like, you know, don't, don't tell me I have many sins. I just look at the person next to me, right, Daryl? Uh, and it's like, uh, I, I, I'm pretty much angelic if I compare myself to some of the others around me. That, that's, that may not be the feeling in the room, but that's oftentimes the feeling in our culture. If we look around us, we can find people that are worse than us. Uh, or if it comes to the idea of, yeah, okay, I've made a few mistakes. Uh, I don't want to say sins. I've made a few mistakes, but who hasn't? You know, uh, I, I made some mistakes tonight, like playing the bass. You know, I made some mistakes. It's a good thing it wasn't too loud and you maybe didn't hear it. But, but you know, if you have, if you have people that said, oh, I've kind of made a mistake, I love how Andy Stanley just puts it. He says, you know, if you make the same mistake over and over and over, and if you make plans to make that mistake, if you go to certain places so that you can make that mistake over again, is it really a mistake? Well, not really. It's, it's bigger than that. And, and, and Paul's saying that to them. He says, you know what? It's deeper than that. There's something broken on the inside that leads to this thing called disobedience. And that disobedience results in this thing called sin. And, it's, and, and for some, right away, it's like, well, I'm getting better. So I've had conversations with people the last number, ah, probably years, number of years, where the conversation is talking about, uh, you know, just being a believer, their walk with the Lord. And they're talking about, well, I'm getting better. You know, I, I'm drinking less. I'm not there yet, but I'm drinking. I'm getting better. You know, I, I've actually been going to church a whole lot more lately. I, uh, you know, every once in a while I still swear, but I, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. 
I met another guy the other day as we were chatting. Uh, he was sharing with me that he just wants to be a really good person. That's kind of his thing in life. It's just, I said, I just want to be a really good person. He's not, a, he's not a Jesus follower. He said, I want to be a good person, and the job that he has, he just wants to help other people. He wants to help them with their health, food choices, and he just says, I just want to make the world a better choice, because he's like, he says, you would know this if we, if we would, because he knew I was a pastor. He just said, if we you know, if we would each like live and help make this world a better place, we could make this world a better place. And that sounds like really good news. And yet Paul says, uh, it's actually the opposite. It's not going to get better. And it's not actually going to get better for us. You know, we hear the thing, once you were dead because of your many sins, like, ah, but I'm getting better. He's like, actually, it gets worse. It gets worse. Here's what Ephesians chapter two, verse two says. He says, you know, not only were you dead, he's like, you used to live in sin. He's like, it wasn't even like this was just kind of a once in a, you know, once in a while type of deal. He's like, this was life for you. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. He's saying like the rest of the, rest of the world around us, we'd say the rest of Haldeman County, the rest of our family, whoever it may be, the rest of the world. He says, obeying the devil. I'm like, oh, I'm glad this is in the past tense. But he's saying, I don't want you to forget that that's who you used to be. You weren't just like a little bit broken and now you're a little bit better. You were dead and you were stuck in sin and you lived in sin. And you obeyed the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. You had the spirit of him at work in your heart uh, and, and at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He's like, it's, it's, not, it's not looking good. Then in Ephesians 2, verse 3, he keeps going. He says, and just in case any of you think that eh, that's not me, he just simply says, all of us. Well, thanks, Paul. You know, I was, uh, I was thinking, you know, I'm a little bit better than that guy. But he says, all of us. He just basically puts the whole world in the same category. All of us used to live that way. All of us used to live that way. And, and why does he keep putting this past tense thing in there? Because I think the truth that he wants us to see is that there. There is a past tense thing. If in our Christianity there is no past tense thing, then we're missing something in our Christianity. If it was like, well, you know, I've started coming to church and I've started listening and my life's getting a little bit better and God's answering my prayers, I think, because, you know, life's getting better. But there was never this understanding that I once was dead and I once was a sinner and I, I once I had no hope. There's something missing. He said this, all of us used to live that way. It was the way we lived. We followed the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very sinful nature, we were subject to God's anger. Just like everyone else. You know, this is something I just never talk about. I just don't. Why? Because I know most people don't like to hear about it. Nobody's smiling right now. Mm. I expected that. You know, but Paul would, would write it to the, to the Romans later. And he would just say to them, he says, you know, I wrote to the Ephesians about we're subject to God's anger. He says, why? Because really the wages or the, the payment or the expectation of sin, if we're all in this category, your expectation should be death. Your wages for that should be death. That's what it's meant to be. And he said at the beginning, you were dead because of your sin. And when you think of dead, it's like, have you ever felt that feeling like, I'm, like I am dead meat? You ever, do, you, like, do you have situations? I thought about that. I was like, I remember situations where I was like, 
oh yeah, like I am toast. I am dead meat. I remember, it's the biggies. It's those biggies. I remember when I was 15 years old, my dad was teaching me how to drive after church. He was teaching me how to drive uh, our, our vehicle around the parking lot at the church. It was a big parking lot. And, and so we, he, he would help me practice. Well, then the one night I thought, you know, hey, I've practiced enough with him. I was like, now I should be able to drive my siblings around. And so I got my four younger siblings in the back of the vehicle, and I hopped in the van. I started driving around the parking lot. And it's a church. We went to a church probably with 500 people at that point. So there's a lot of other vehicles, and I'm driving, and I'm waving. And then all of a sudden, in the, it's nighttime. And then in the, the headlights, I see my dad. And he's walking towards the van that is no longer parked where it used to be parked. And he looks, and I'm like, he's going to be so proud of me. Look how good I'm doing. And he looks at me with a face I will never forget. I could see it in his eyes. I am dead meat. I got my last spanking that night. Fifteen. No. Not right in the parking lot. I was, he was gracious enough to spank me at home, but... Driving the vehicle at 15 and seeing that look in his eyes, it was like, man, I know dad loves me, but dad was angry. Dad was super angry, and I, and I didn't realize it until later. But he said, Mark, if you hit somebody, that rest of your life would be just completely changed. I'm not angry because I hate you. I'm not angry because I'm disowning you. I'm not angry because you're a bad person. I'm angry because of the, what this could cause in your life. And I think God's the same way. When he sees sin in our lives, there's still an anger there that says, ah, that's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt you. And there's, there's an anger at sin because sin has destroyed everything good that he created. And there's an anger in that. And yet, you know, we have these dead meat moments where you're driving and you see the officer flick on his lights. And then you look at your speedometer, 117 and an 80. I'm dead meat. You know it when he pulls you over. I'm, I'm dead meat. You know, if you're a teenager and you're out past your curfew and you think, they're probably asleep. I'm going to get in, no problem. Just turn the lights off, squeak in, and you get the text. Where were you? Where are you? You better get home now. You just know, like, I'm, I'm dead meat. Or your teacher calls you in and says, hey, I want to talk to you about that test that you just took. And you're like, oh, man, I cheated. How do they know? But you know you're dead meat. Or the big, big ones, when your spouse finds out that you cheated. It's like those moments where you're like, all of those moments where you walk in and you can no longer say, oh, okay, I, I can fix this. I can, it's those moments. And, you know, we don't, we don't need to, uh, to look too far to see that sin still kills things. Sin still kills marriages. Sin, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, sin still has the ability to kill uh, relationships, friendships, kill your health, kill, kill things in life. It still destroys. And every single one of us, I don't have to do show of hands because I just know that every single one of us can look back at a time in our life where we say, I knew that was wrong and I did it anyway. I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. And it wasn't a mistake. It was something bigger than that. It was actually... <laughs> I thought it was a mistake till just now, but yeah, if I'm honest, I got to call that sin. And if I know it, it's more than just once, it was probably just like once today, that I got to categorize myself as a sinner. And if I think that I have sin, then I got to agree with Paul if he says, then I was dead because of that. And, and because of that sin, 
I got to own up for that. And that God's not just happy and he's not just loving because that's just what we want to hear. We want to hear, I just would rather hear about how God is so loving all of the time. But Paul says, listen, you won't understand what love is unless you understand where you came from. And you're not going to understand what a savior is unless you understand what you need to be saved from. By our, by our very nature, he says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. You're like, well, we all do it. Well, of course we all, but he's saying by our nature is another way of saying we've been born this way. So some would look back at the story of Adam and Eve and say, oh, okay, that's where it started and it's just wrecked everything since. Others would simply look back at their own life and say, yeah, I'm in that category. I'm in that category. And he says, by our very nature, all of us were subject to God's anger. We don't like to think about that. We'd rather think of God as the loving God. But until we realize what we really deserved, until we realize, again, realize what we really deserve, we don't realize what Paul writes next. And Paul writes this. He says, you know, that's the reality. That's the news. And it isn't good, but he says this. Here's the good news of the gospel. And so often, here's where we start, but we shouldn't. He says, this is, this is after you realize this is what you're, where you're at. He says, but, but God. He doesn't say, but, you know, you were really struggling and you were having a really difficult time, but you decided to go start going to church and you decided to start hanging around with other people and you decided to start thinking more positively. You started to, you thought you'd start to pray. And wow, you know, you're just a little bit happier than you were back then. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know, but, but us. Because there is, he says, we already talked about us. That was the first three verses we just discussed. It wasn't pretty and it's not getting better. He says, but so let me just tell you about God. He says, yeah, it's, it's not good for where we find ourselves. But he says, but God, let me tell you about him. He's rich in mercy. Yeah, we, <laughs> we chose things we shouldn't have and we don't deserve, you know, his, his love. We don't deserve grace. We sure don't deserve mercy. Mercy is, is that we don't get what we deserve. He says, but God's rich in mercy. So it's not hopeless. We talk about the thrill of hope. He says, it's not hopeless. God's rich in mercy. And he says, and he loved us so much. See that? He says, once, once you realize what you were like, and he's like, he still loves you so much. He says, he says this. It's the reason for Christmas. Actually, even over Paul, Jesus says it in, in this famous verse from John 3.16. It's the reason for Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He says, here's why it's good news. He says, for God so loves this broken, hurting world. This world that's dead in sin, dead and disobedient, trapped without hope. I love them. I love you. I don't love you because you started going to church or you tried to make yourself better. You don't have a hope of making yourself better. I simply love you the way that you are. I love you the way that you are. And if you would trust in me, rather than trusting in your own works to get you closer to me, just trust in the fact that I came close to you. If you would simply trust in me, you'll have everlasting life. You will have eternal life. And Paul reiterates it. In the passage we're looking at to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, verse 5, he says that even though <laughs> he's rich in mercy and he loves so much that even though we were dead 
because of our sins. He says he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace, it's only by God's grace that you have been what? Saved from what? Saved from sin, saved from death, saved from the darkness. He's like, I'm going to rescue you. That's what a Savior does. He says, I will rescue you from danger, saved from the penalty of having to pay for sin, saved from the wrath of God, the anger of God against sin. That's what we've been saved from. I just, as even thinking, but just had to allow that to just settle in once again. Why? Because we drift into this spot where we, we forget where we came from. We forget that that was all of us. And for some, that's still us. That you've been, that you've been saved, that you've been drawn out of that. And you know how I know that I forget it? And you know how I know that others forget it? It's because they think that God still owes them something. God, I can't believe you didn't pay my bills. God, I can't believe that you're you're taking my loved ones. God, I can't believe you're doing this, this, this. and, And the list is on. As if he owes us something more. I know. That's a little harsh. I'll say it nicer next tomorrow. But we've been saved from what we deserved. And that is the power of the gospel. It really is the power of the gospel, the good news. And we've been rescued. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, he just says it again. He comes back around to, he's like, God saved you by his grace when you trusted in him, when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. He says, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. It's not a reward. He's like, I'm not saying, hey, you've been saved as a reward because you're getting better. You know, you've gotten so much better, you're good with me now. He's like, there was never a thing that you could do to get better. He says, it was broken. And Jesus came to fix what was broken. What was broken? I was broken. The relationship with my heavenly father is broken. It was broken. He says that relationship's what's broken. He says that idea of trusting in him is what we need to continue in as followers of Jesus Christ. That he's enough. In our culture, we're told that there's going to be all this other stuff and you're going to have all this other blessing and everything else. It's true. But even if you, I should say that, I've got to word that properly. Yes, that can happen in your life. Yes, there can be blessing, and yes, there can be healing, and yes, there can be all that stuff because that's, you know, that, that's something that's been uh, paid for by the cross. But if we don't receive that, is Jesus enough? And I'm going to say one, one more thing. Is Jesus enough just in the way that we live our Christianity? Or did we say, oh, yeah, okay, Jesus, you paid for my sin, and now I'm going to try and be better. For someone who struggled with addictions, I know that, that there's that thing in me that says, oh, I'm going I'm to try to do better. Every time we try to do better, we fail. It's when we realize that, you know what, it's, it's because of what he did to save me. That's the only reason I'm saved. And staying in that relationship with Jesus, I love this thought that the, he said, you know, if you have Holy Spirit on the inside of you, Holy Spirit comes with fruit, the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, the fruit of patience. Yeah, I, I remember your message, listening to it online, that idea that Holy Spirit's, his, that, that life, it just comes with him, living with him. 
So often we try so hard to be more patient, to be more loving, to be more. I, I'm, and it's that subtle drift to, I, I, I'm going to do this. I, I can fix this. I can. And he's like, you never could. You never can. He's like, if you want love, it's still, still me loving through you. It's still by Holy Spirit. When he says love one another, he says that love was shed abroad in your hearts by Holy Spirit. Stay in relationship with Holy Spirit. Need that, I need that reminder all the time, and yet I see that subtle drift in us. See the subtle drift in me. You know, continuing to trust in what Christ has done for you and what he's given you. So I, it's not really like a sermon. I don't know what that is. But let me just close by saying this that uh, maybe today is the day that the lights came on for you, that you've sat in Kingsway for years maybe, thinking that, ha, I just like how I feel in this place. I just feel better when I'm there. The more I go, the better I feel. And you may very well have missed the whole point of the gospel, is that you feeling better is not what he came to do. You will feel better when you realize you've been saved but are you saved or are you trying to become a better person? And maybe like I've been trying to become a better person because I thought that's what God wanted. And the truth is that God doesn't want better people. He wants dead people to become alive to him and to stay alive to him and to live alive to him. So often that drift is going to be like, well, I'm going to fix this. You've drifted away from, I just need to stay alive to him. You know, that we would trust in Christ alone. That I would trust in God's solution to my problem. That I would remain in relationship with Christ because that is his solution to my problem. Because as soon as we come up with our own solution for our problem, that's exactly what religion is. It is now my way of figuring out how I will get better or get closer to God. He's like, listen, that's why Christmas happened, because you can't, because we're broken and we need to be saved from something, a danger that is very real. You know, the Christmas story, you hear the wise men who were seeking Jesus. The truth is that wise men still seek him. I've seen that quote, and I was like, you know what, it's true. That's what it, wise men isn't the ones who are just simply, I'm going to make better decisions, and I'm going to get better. Wise men are seeking Jesus. And I know that I'm preaching this better than I'm living it, to be perfectly honest. But that reminder, you know, that we never drift from the the fact of the gospel. You know, because the truth is, our world, you know, it's a dark and dreary world sometimes, especially around this time. You know, it was a dark and dreary world when Jesus arrived on the scene in the first place. And it's still the same today. You know, the message that our world wants to hear is that things are going to get better. But the message our world needs to hear is that a Savior has been born. The message they want to hear is that it's going to get better. It's going to get better. The message that they need to hear is that a Savior has been born. This Christmas, my hope, and so when we ask for people to help volunteer in kids' church, is because I believe there's people that need to be in this room that night who need to know that a Savior has been born for them. That they're not okay. And that life is not okay. And that getting better is not okay. Because they're dead in sin. And maybe you're here tonight and that's you. 
Can I just tell you that that's what Jesus did for you? That he, he paid for your sin. And the only way that that sin is paid for is if you'll acknowledge that you're a sinner. That you're a sinner and need a savior. I don't have to say a prayer. You don't have to say, repeat after me. <laughs> that awareness of, I'm not a guy who made mistakes. I am a sinner. Without someone, I'm in big, big trouble. Jesus help. He'll take it from there. He will take it from there. Can we pray? Father, thank you for tonight. Uh, I'm just grateful, Holy Spirit, that you don't let us drift too far, that you bring people across our path, that you bring your word to light in, in, our, in our lives, <laughs> that it still speaks so strongly uh, to our inner man, to our heart. Holy Spirit, thank you Thank you for living in us and that as we continue to open ourselves to you, that, that you just bring us to where you want us to be, that you bring us into, under the lordship of Jesus, that you reveal Christ in us. Uh, Lord, I just pray for us as a church that, that this Christmas we will be a true, true light in this world, that we will shine, that people would see the gospel, the goodness of the gospel the goodness of what you've done for them. Lord, that they would be truly saved, that we wouldn't be a place that just gathers a whole lot of people, but that people would be brought from death to life as a result of this. Thank you for your words. Thank you that you're the one who does it. Just pray that for each person tonight that you just translate it into their situation and scenario, whether they need it for themselves or if it's for someone that they that they know, God, give us courage to be obedient to your voice as we walk out this week with you. Uh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you. It's in your powerful name I pray. Amen.